Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah chapter 4. Now, this final chapter of the book of Jonah begins with Jonah feeling very angry because of something that he considered to be a terrible evil. Uh, in Hebrew, when you want to intensify a word, you double it. And, in, and verse 1 says that it was an evil, evil to Jonah and that he was burning with anger. Now, what was it that Jonah considered such a terrible evil? and that made him so angry, it was the salvation of the Ninevites. The fact that God had saved the city of Nineveh instead of destroying it. Jonah was absolutely convinced that by showing the Ninevites compassion and saving them from death, God had done something very wrong. In fact, it all seemed so wrong to Jonah that he concluded that if that's how things work, you know, if that's how it is, then what is the point of life? He says, better to die than to live. Now, it would be easy for us to just sort of roll our eyes and think, oh, Jonah's being a bit ridiculous there. But uh, that fails to see why it was such a difficult thing for him, this. Uh, now, I've said this before, forgive me if you've been here through this series, but some of you probably haven't. Um, so I've tried to make the point as we've gone through this book that a lot of people in the ancient world would have wanted Nineveh to be destroyed and would have believed they absolutely deserved to be. And that was because um, Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, was responsible for so much evil in the world. Nineveh had dished out horrific levels of violence and injustice and death across the ancient world like no other nation had before. And God actually, at the beginning of the book, God had actually sent Jonah to warn them in Nineveh that their evil 
would lead to their destruction. But of course, with God, the door is always open for salvation. Uh, remember from chapter 2, salvation comes from the Lord. So when Nineveh uh, responded to God's message by turning away from their evil and instead turning to him for mercy, God felt, we're told, deep compassion for them and he saved them. Uh, and we saw, even saw in chapter 3 that the, the way it's written in the Hebrew suggests even the idea that God kind of took and carried the burden of all their wrongdoing upon himself. That word compassion has that sense of bearing another's uh, uh, situation. Uh, so out of love for them, God was going, would do that and he saved them and Nineveh had a new start from God. Now remember that, you know, as I said, many people had suffered at Nineveh's hands, but that included Jonah himself and his own people, the Israelites. Now, perhaps, therefore, it felt a bit to them like, you know, that good people had been suffering and suffering while Nineveh, you know, was going around doing as they pleased, only for them to just be saved at the last minute anyway. And perhaps it was, you know, that just didn't sit right. But in verse 2, Jonah actually says that he absolutely knew God was going to do this. Uh, which is why he did not want to go to Nineveh and speak to them. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you're slow to anger, abounding in love, and relent from calamity. Now that statement, by the way, about God's character, was something of a creed in ancient Israel. So it was first spoken by God himself in Exodus 34, when God revealed his glory to Moses and, and the Israelites proclaiming to them who, who he is. Um, but that statement about God, gracious, compassionate, etc., is repeated uh, numerous times through the Old Testament as a kind of, here is a definition of God's character. And now that character of God had also been demonstrated to Nineveh as well. And that was the dilemma for Jonah. Jonah knows how amazing God's compassion is, but in this situation he feels angry about it as well. You know, when a people had been as bad as the Ninevites had, grace and compassion almost seemed like a failure of justice. So Jonah was angry because God was no longer angry, and Jonah thought he should still be angry with them. There's a verse in the New Testament which says, when, where sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more. And that's great to hear for ourselves, and even probably just in general for people, but it can be difficult to accept when it's those who perhaps have hurt us really badly. That God's grace is for them as well. It covers their sin too. And really that's what this book has been about, this book of Jonah. And it's asking us, are we, are we ready to let that grace of God be just as far-reaching as it really is? So as Christians today, as gospel people, good news people today, we have to remember what those words about God, God is gracious, compassionate, and abounding in love, what they mean. We must not domesticate them or limit them or reduce them to something that's a bit more agreeable to us. We should let the, the words of God's grace and compassion be just as shocking as if they really are. You know, take on board the sheer generosity of God that treats the first and the last equally well as we come to God. Ultimately, that is the wonder of God's grace, isn't it? His compassion, his love. And if it were any different than that, it wouldn't be grace, and actually, we'd all be left without 
hope. It's what we began with in Romans 3. We're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. But praise God, what, he's, he, what has he shown us? Paul says he's revealed his righteousness in this. It's by the grace of God in Christ that we, all of us can be saved. If it wasn't like that, then we would despair at life, I think. So here's the thing which this book is saying to us. The good news of God's love and compassion. It's not just wonderful, it's also quite challenging. It challenges us into a new way of seeing God, seeing the world, seeing ourselves, and seeing other people. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this. He says, from now on, we no longer see anybody from the world's point of view. Though we once even regarded Jesus in that way, we don't do so anymore now that we're Christians, he says, because if anyone is in Christ, whoever they are, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul's saying there, look, being a Christian, part of what it means is seeing everything differently because we now see everything in the light uh, of what we see in Jesus, who he says in that passage, died for us all, who gave his life for our sins in order to save us so that anyone, Paul says, who's in Christ, it doesn't matter what's happened in their life before that, if they're in Christ, they're a new creation. The old's gone. The new has come. That's, that's wonderful, but it can be challenging when we, when we realize that's true for some people, just like Jonah was struggling with it here. So in verse 4, God asks Jonah, is it right or is it good for you to be angry? Angry about Nineveh being saved. Now, Jonah did not say anything at that point. Instead, verse 5, he went to a place outside the city and we're told he made a shelter and waited to see what would happen. In other words, what Jonah's doing is he's wanting to see if perhaps Nineveh will be destroyed after all by God. Now, in a way, that was Jonah's response to God's question, are you right to be angry? Uh, it was like Jonah's unspoken challenge to God to rethink things and do what Jonah thought God really should be doing. It was like Jonah saying, it's over to you now, God. I'm going to sit here and watch, see what happens. It's your move, God. Are you really going to spare them? Or will you do what you ought to do, what you, they deserve for their sin, and destroy them like you said you would? Now, God is so patient with Jonah. You know, we can, we can get so grumpy with God at times, can't we? Jonah does here. He's so patient. God is gracious. He's very compassionate. He's slow to anger, and he abounds in love. And, and so God takes some time to show Jonah the inconsistency of his thinking and to show Jonah why his anger was actually misplaced. Yes, it's fine to be angry about Nineveh's evil, of course, so was God, but not to be angry about their salvation from evil, which had now turned their lives around. So what God did was he gave Jonah, he gave Jonah his own little experience of salvation himself. Jonah sat and watched the city and God provided a plant to give shade to Jonah, uh, to shelter his head from the absolutely blazing Middle Eastern sun, remember. You know, that, it could be dangerously hot. Uh, and, and, but importantly, and this is really important, the Hebrew of verse 6 says, God provided the plant to deliver or rescue Jonah from his evil. All right? Think about those words. It says he gave him, provided a plant to deliver Jonah from his evil. 
Now, that's the words the Hebrew verse 6 uses, and it's very significant because that is exactly what God had just done for the city of Nineveh. He had delivered them from evil. So what we're, me we're meant to see a parallel here in the Hebrew. Uh, God has just rescued Nineveh from, Nineveh from their evil, and now in verse 6, it says God is rescuing Jonah from his, his evil, meaning for him the dangerous heat of the sun, yes, but I think actually perhaps more than that, perhaps also to rescue Jonah from his misplaced anger as well. But the point is this, Jonah is experiencing a deliverance from evil just like Nineveh had just done. Now, understandably, Jonah's really happy about this deliverance, this salvation that he, God gives him. It says he rejoiced greatly over the plant. And why not? It's a, it's a rescue. It's a deliverance from evil. It's a wonderful thing. Except, of course, Jonah did not think that about the Ninevites being delivered from their evil. He did for himself, but not for them. In fact, he's now sitting, enjoying his own little rescue, watching to see if the Ninevites, if their salvation will be taken away from them, like he thinks it should be, and the city would in fact be destroyed. So, what does God do? He next gives Jonah experience of that. Okay, what would that feel like, Jonah? Uh, of what it would be like if salvation was taken away, God, God wasn't gracious or he changed his mind about it. What would that be like to experience? So God provided next a worm which destroyed Jonah's plant. And the plant died and Jonah's deliverance was therefore taken away. God also, we're told, sent a hot east wind and the sun was striking down on Jonah's head and it said so much that he started to feel faint in the heat. It could be searingly hot in that part of the world. So much so that Jonah says again, he wanted to die. Jonah became angry, angry at this plant, which meant a lot to him, having now died and his deliverance from the heat being taken away. And remember, Jonah is experiencing this while he's sitting there watching the city of Nineveh, hoping that that would happen to them, that their salvation, their deliverance would be taken away and they'd perish. And yet now, when that happens to him, when he, his plant perishes and his own deliverance is, is gone, he's angry and he's despondent. What's the point of living, he says, if that's how things are? Again, that's very interesting that he says that again, because he said that before when God saved Nineveh. He said, well, what's the point if that's how it is, if they can just be saved? But now he says exactly the same thing when he experienced salvation himself, but it was taken away. And he says, oh, well, what's the point in living if salvation's taken away? Hang on a minute. You're, see, God is just showing, look, look at the inconsistency here. You know, what's the point of living if you save people? What's the point of living if salvation is taken away? Well, which one is it, Jonah? Which, which one, what kind of thing do you want in this world? What kind of world do we want it to be? One built on our own calculations of merit, you know, where salvation is only for those we think are good enough? Or do we want a world that just rests on the grace of God, his compassion, his salvation, that brings forgiveness and new life to whoever will come to him? And receive it. The question for us all is which, which one is a life worth living? Which one is a life of despair? God wanted Jonah to see there was an inconsistency in his attitude. God delivered him from evil, verse 6, and he rejoiced over it. 
But when God had delivered Nineveh from their evil, he was furious. Jonah now sits and watches, hoping their deliverance will be taken away. But when his own was, his plant destroyed, he becomes angry and despairs of life. Now the point of it all is this. If Jonah feels like that about one plant for himself and his own deliverance, why not rejoice over Nineveh's deliverance? Why not rejoice to see a whole city full of people saved from their evil? Jesus told a parable in Luke 15, which is very relevant to this passage. Um, we usually call the parable the parable of the prodigal son, but it's actually as much about the, the prodigal son's older brother as it is about him. And perhaps above all, it's actually about the, the compassion of the father in the parable who, who represents God. So in the parable, there's a younger son who takes his father's inheritance and before the father's died, by the way, so it's like, I'll have my money now, please. And he, and he goes off with this money, this younger son, and he lives a completely reckless life. He squanders all that his father had given him until in the end he found himself in a complete mess. And in the parable, we're told he came to his senses at that point and he decided to return home to his father. And although he knew he had sinned and felt that he didn't deserve to be welcomed back home at all, he just wondered if his father might show him mercy. But we're told in the parable, Jesus says, as, as the son approached his home, the father saw him from a distance and his father was so full of compassion that he ran to meet his wayward son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and threw a party to celebrate that the prodigal son had returned home. Very much like Nineveh turning to God and God welcoming them home to himself. But in Jesus's parable, there was another son, the older brother, who'd stayed with his father faithfully through the years. And when he saw how his younger brother was just welcomed home and forgiven after all that he had done, he became angry, Jesus says, and he refused to go into the party. Uh, it's a bit like Jonah sitting outside the city of Nineveh, angry that Nineveh's been saved and refusing to accept it. I'm going to keep watching until they're destroyed. So in the parable Jesus told, the father comes out to the older brother, and the old brother, older brother complains that the younger brother's been welcomed home with rejoicing, and after all the terrible things he'd done. And, and the, the end of this parable is just so beautiful, because the father, representing God, says this to the older brother, who's a bit grumpy about it all. He says this, he says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. God could have said the same to Jonah about Nineveh. Luke actually tells us that the reason Jesus told that parable was he told it to some religious elites of his day after they complained that Jesus was welcoming sinners, the wrong kind of people, and that he was eating together with them as if they, they were welcome. And, and Luke says that's why Jesus told them that parable. 
none of us are doorkeepers of God's grace, are we? We certainly don't have sole rights to the grace of God, you know, just because we're in church. And by the same token, on the other hand, don't let anybody ever tell you that you are excluded from God's grace. He will save you if you ask him. His compassion is for you too, because it's for us all. Jesus died for us all. And that's why grace is such good news. And so God asks Jonah that question again. This time, instead of asking him about Nineveh, he asks him about what he himself had just experienced and how he feels about that. So Jonah, remember, refused to answer when God said, are you right to be angry about Nineveh? So in verse 9, God says, okay then, are you right to be angry about your plant? The plant which had just perished and and salvation had gone. Yes, Jonah says, I am right to be angry about that, even to the point of death. Okay, that's absolutely fine. But if that's so, then why do you feel so different about Nineveh, God's saying? Jonah was so glad about the unexpected life of this new plant that has sprung out seemingly from nowhere, delivering him from evil. So why not rejoice, God is saying, at the unexpected new life of Nineveh, which had sprung up by the grace of God and brought them salvation from their evil? Not just one plant or one person, but a city full of hundreds of thousands of people and cattle. And so God leaves us all with this final question, which is the conclusion of the book, verses 10 and 11. And the Lord God said to Jonah, you look with compassion or concern or care upon that plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which actually came into being in a night and then perished in a night. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh then, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and there's also much cattle? I think we need to ask, in the light of a book like the book of Jonah, who are we tempted to exclude from compassion? Who are the people we might be tempted to say, oh, but not them? who are our Ninevites, because God says, should I not have compassion on them too? I guess in some ways this book of Jonah asks us what sort of world we really want to be living in, what sort of universe we want it to be. How does it work if God is God? Do we really want a world where God is ours and nobody else's, or ours and the people we decide are acceptable? which inevitably then leads us to wonder whether we're actually acceptable, whether, whether he's ours or, as we're either, I, I don't know. Would we really want a world like that, where we're all just being compared to each other to see who might be worthy and who might not be? I don't think we could bear living in a universe like that. It would be despair. And we'd end up angry and miserable and at each other's throats And perhaps sitting, rubbing our hands like Jonah at the thought of that bunch over there, whoever they might be for us, getting their comeuppance. That would not be a good place to be in. But thankfully, that is not the God revealed to Israel in the Old Testament or revealed to the world in Jesus Christ. What we in fact see is a world that belongs to a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
a world where God does not treat us as our sins deserve, but according to his love, we're told in the Psalms. A world where he sent his son Jesus to live our life, to die for our sins, and to rise again to save us. That is a world that we can live in and flourish in. That is a God who you can turn to and believe in and find life in. And praise God, that actually is the God who really is Lord, and that is the universe that he's created and that we live in. A world of salvation and of new life for anyone who wants it. Salvation comes from the Lord, chapter 2, verse 9. I want to just close with a quote from one of the commentaries I read. This is Terence Frettheim. And he just says this about the final bit at the very end of the book, God's sort of speech at the end. And, and Frettheim, Terence Frettheim notes that he mentions even the cattle um, in his compassion. So he says this, uh, All are equally God's creatures whom he loves and whom he desires to incorporate into the community called out by his name. The entire world of God's creation is given to us as a field of vision. Because all are the object of God's love and concern, they are to be the object of our love and concern. No matter who, if Jonah, then everyone, if Nineveh, then the world, even the cows.